The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. In virtual worship, our sanctuary empty, we gather this Sunday, September 20th, 2020. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. The liturgy, music, and sermon are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation through WBUR 90.9 FM and our listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst. And as the spirit moves, and when and as it is again permitted and safe to do so, your presence with us here in worship. Our preacher today is the Reverend Dr. Victoria Gaskell, Marsh Chapel Minister of Visitation. Today's service of worship includes the greeting and sermon new this week, along with music and liturgy rebroadcast from earlier services. Although our nave is empty, the music is full. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A lesson from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verse 10, through chapter 4, verse 11. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, 
God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you were concerned about the bush for which you did not labor, in which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
a lesson from St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 21 through 30. For to me, living is Christ, and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation, and this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well since you are having the same struggles that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 145 with the antiphon. extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The Lord's greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall love your words to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. All the Lord's ways are just, all the Lord's doings are kind. The Lord is near to all who call, to all who call upon the Lord in truth. The Lord fulfills the desire of all the faithful and hears their cry and saves them. All who love the Lord, the Lord preserves. All the wicked, the Lord destroys. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless God's holy name forever and ever. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Glory to you, O Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what, what, with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. A friend of mine tells a story about their facilitation of a Bible study on Matthew a few years ago. <clears throat> the study was held in a church in a well-off town just outside a major American city. For the first 19 chapters of Matthew, there was lively discussion and everything remained relatively calm. But when discussion started on the passage which is our gospel text this morning, the tenor of discussion changed. There was anger and resentment and attempts to dismiss the story on various grounds, the chief ground being that it might be all right for the landowner to act like that in the kingdom of God, but in real life no one would work for them, and such behavior only rewards the lazy. The members of the study had all worked hard to get where they were, and the idea that late hires would be paid the same as those who had worked out in the sun all day was both an outrage and deeply distressing to them, especially as this was a God story. The vineyard owner's claims were offensive. Did they have no respect for diligence and hard work? Did God have no respect for them in their hard work and diligence? Things got pretty heated. Then one of the members who had not said much suddenly said, but haven't any of us ever caught a break? That's what happens to the late hires, isn't it? It wasn't their fault they were hired. They caught a break from the landowner. Well, this was a Bible study that had been going for a while and the members knew and trusted each other, so they thought about it. And little by little, well, when you put it that way, the stories began to come out. Some about little and amusing breaks, some about life-changing ones, sometimes about breaks that saved a life or saved many lives. The concept of catching a break was examined as something that was not expected not necessarily deserved. And while it might involve someone else feeling affection or the desire to help another person out, it could be, as it is in the gospel, 
purely due to the desire of the one who hires and has both the control and resources to provide the break. And they provide the break because they can. The study session ended on the general understanding that everyone present allowed that they had experienced catching a break, and they were grateful. And of course, God could do whatever God liked. But they were honest enough to allow that while the kingdom of God was one thing, if they saw such behavior from their bosses, and if they were the ones first hired, it would still rankle. Someone or something that takes precedence is someone or something that is more important than the people or things around them. Or it is someone or something with somehow a right to preferential treatment. Religious, academic, state, community, or family, processionals, or seating arrangements often demonstrate the importance of some people taking precedence over others through a formal organization hierarchy. And taking precedence is often claimed or given informally by individuals or groups or given to certain people, as the members of the Bible study gave precedence to the early hires over the late hires with regard to who deserved the most pay from the landowner. Some things, commitments, and feelings also take precedence, even over things, commitments, and feelings that are also important. The book of Jonah describes a case in point. Previously in the book, to our story this morning, Jonah has been called by God to go and preach warning and repentance to the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the great wicked city of Nineveh. For reasons that are unclear at the time, Jonah goes overland to the place farthest from Nineveh, and then he takes a ship to go even farther away. A storm blows up, Jonah tells the sailors that the storm is his fault for disobeying God, and he allows the sailors to throw him overboard so that they will not be harmed. Jonah goes overboard, the sea calms, and Jonah is swallowed by a great fish, or whale. He spends the fabled three days in the whale's stomach. Then the whale spews him up onto dry land. Our scripture this morning, then, is post-whale. Jonah has, it seems, decided to obey God's call and goes to Nineveh. He has a spectacular preaching tour. He only repeats one phrase, and the people and even the king pay attention. They fast, repent in sackcloth and ashes, and turn from their evil ways. God accepts their repentance, changes the divine mind, and does not overthrow the city. Amazingly enough, Jonah is angry at the results of his work, work that he had been called by God to do. He is angry with God. He is specifically angry with God's character and nature, God's grace, God's mercy, God's slowness to anger, God's abounding in steadfast love, God's readiness to relent from punishment. The same qualities of God that he remembered as he prayed in repentance from inside the whale, when they are turned toward his enemies, he is so angry with God that he wants God to kill him because he would rather die than live in such a situation. God asks Jonah if he has a right to be angry, but receives no answer. And Jonah goes to a lookout to see what becomes of the forgiven city. A bush grows over Jonah's head and shades him, but a worm comes and kills the bush. And in the renewed heat, Jonah again asks God to kill him. God asks again if Jonah has the right to be angry, this time about the bush. And Jonah says he is angry enough to die. To die is better than to live. Jonah has allowed his anger and hatred of the Ninevites and his concern for his own comfort to take precedence. Precedence over his call from God, precedence over what he knows is the character and nature of God, and precedence over the great transformation of a wicked and violent city into a place concerned with repentance 
toward a right relationship with God and others. For God, however, what takes precedence is the welfare of 120,000 people who are confused and fearful. And let's not forget their animals because God does not forget them. The message of this morning's two stories is that God's idea of who or what takes precedence is different from Jonah's. And as Jesus declares in his God story, it is different from that of the early hires. God, who created everything, can in divine generosity do whatever God wants for whoever God wants. And the people who are called to God's mission both are taken care of and also will catch some breaks. In these, in these things, these stories are similar. For our purposes this morning, we will note some differences between other aspects of the stories. While there is some scholarly warrant for the possible existence of a Jonah son of Amittai, and the enmity between Assyria and Israel is a matter of historical record, debate rages over who actually wrote the book of Jonah. Debate also rages over why, where, and when the author wrote it. There is even debate over what category the book falls into, history, parable, satire, and or political religious persuasion toward a more universal concept of God's presence and love. What we do know for sure is that Jonah's is a story that was included in the Hebrew Bible, is referenced in both Matthew and Luke in the Christian scriptures, and has captured the imagination in books, songs, and art for centuries. And the picture of Jonah it paints is both absurd and in our time a bit too close to some of what we see at loose in the world. A man who insists that what takes precedence, what is more important, is his own hatred of others, his anger towards those who change for the better and toward God, and his preference for death rather than life in a world where human repentance and divine generosity and mercy are possible. Jesus' story has noticeable differences. It is an everyday story of marginal day workers and a disconcertingly fair and also generous employer. We recognize its issues in our own reactions as to which workers should or should not take precedence in our own workplaces and we recognize its issues in our national labor policies that affect millions of lives and futures. If we are like the members of the Bible study, we will also remember the times when someone allowed us to take precedence and gave us a break. And we remember the warm feelings up to and including incoherent relief with which we received that break. In the Gospel of Matthew, the tax collector, this story is set in a whole section of stories which emphasize the fact that God's idea of who or what takes precedence is not necessarily what we or the world thinks takes precedence, thinks what is more important. In the stories that precede our story this morning, Jesus insists that little children be allowed to come to him because it is to those like them that the kingdom of heaven belongs. Jesus encounters the rich young ruler who would not follow him because of his riches and acknowledges that it is hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. When Peter asks what will they get who has left everything to follow who have left everything to follow Jesus, Jesus says that they will have more than they need and in this case too that many who are first will be last and the last will be first. In the verses following our story this morning, Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to Jerusalem to die. The mother of the sons of Zebedee does their work for them and asks Jesus to put her sons to the right and left of him when he comes into his kingdom. Jesus tells James and John that they don't know what they are asking, and anyway, that's not his to grant. When the others are angry with James and John, Jesus tells them all that whoever wants to be great among them must be their servant, and that Jesus himself, who comes to serve, 
is the embodiment of God's upending of worldly ideas of what takes precedence, of what is more important. We have noted before that the Gospel of Matthew is in part a manual of instruction, a teaching gospel that teaches through the example of Jesus what his followers need to know about God and Jesus, about themselves, and about their neighbors. The gospel teaches about God's invitation and inclusion, about God's ideas of who and what takes precedence, about who and what is more important. The kingdom of heaven, present and coming, is like this, a place where everyone is included, where everyone is important, and where at any given time and in any given situation, some people change places so that the first shall become last and the last shall become first so that love and justice can prevail. These stories come at an interesting time for us. The COVID-19 pandemic also ups the COVID-19 pandemic also upends our ideas of what takes precedence, of what is more important. It reveals the deep fissures in our society, which in turn reveal disdain and hatred, and as well, mercy and generosity. Now, I want to be very clear here. I am not saying that God caused either the virus or the pandemic. From what I gather from the science, medical, and political communities, they are likely the result of a combination of natural processes and the consequences of human denial, fear, and short-sighted choices around environment, our relations with other species, and public health. I am also not saying that God has sent us the virus as a punishment. The pain, sorrow, fear, and despair this virus has caused and continues to cause is suffering enough to go on with for anything. And these are all exacerbated in turn by uncontrolled wildfires, racial injustice and unrest, a frightening economic situation, and the background of climate change. Our faith does not promise us that we will be punished for anything through natural processes or their consequences. What our faith does promise is that God's presence, guidance, and help is with us to help bring us through and to help us learn. <clears throat> and we are learning a lot now in deeper and richer and, yes, in more challenging ways. Some of what we are learning is that those who we may have overlooked or taken for granted take precedence now in importance to our well-being if we are to eat, to continue to function as individuals and a society, and to recover and get well. We are learning that some, through no fault of their own, but through being discounted in their human being and dignity, suffer more deeply and widely than others and that certain changes must take precedence over the status quo if this extra suffering and blatant injustice is to end. We are learning how important each individual person who has died was, was to their loved ones and to their communities. We are learning how important we who live are to each other as we long for physical presence, contact, and energy. We are learning how human relationship and human relationship with the natural and wider world take precedence over so much of what we thought was more important. And we are learning the importance each one of us has and can have to God and to our neighbor in actions both large and small. Paul writes about this in his own inimitable way in his letter to the church at Philippi, a church for which Paul has a particular affection. His letter is full of friendship and rejoicing in and for them, even in the midst of the sufferings they all variously face. And he recounts his dilemma in the face of their friendship in Christ. He does not know which to prefer. To die and be with Christ is what he would prefer as the best of all situations. 
but if he continues to live, he has fruitful labor to do, and that is more necessary for the church at Philippi, which he loves. So he will remain alive and in the flesh to continue with them in progress and joy, and so that they may all boast in Christ when they can be together again. Since life takes precedence over death for Paul in his call from God, he will do his work toward fruitfulness, endure his sufferings in faith, and enjoy his time with his friends. COVID-19 is no respecter of precedence or people. But as long as we are, like Paul, still alive and in the flesh, our life with God, self, and neighbor takes precedence even over our fear and accompanies our grief and the many other emotions of this time. Now more than ever, we are called to consider what will take precedence, what will be more important in our lives. We are called to be fruitful in the work we are called to do. We are called to rejoice in our friends and companions in Christ. In all this, we are called to be guided by God's ideas of what takes precedence, rather than our own or the world's. And when we do, we are promised that our world will be the more interesting, the richer, and the more just for it. May we rest in God's mercy and generosity, and may we extend this mercy and generosity to as many others as we can. Amen.
We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Creator of the universe, who grounds our being and is the structure in which we can grasp at love itself, truth itself, and beauty itself. We pray for those who have come through this university before us and will come through after us. We pray that they may continue to, in grasping at these structures of reason, seek justice in our justice-bearing university and find the sound of the genuine in their pursuits of learning, virtue, and piety. For in doing so, our next generation of global citizens may courageously engage with the tensions of modernity and reflect the courage of the new being in their engagements. We pray this through the new being, Christ, who has moved through and in many who have journeyed alongside this space in the past. Howard Thurman, Martin Luther King Jr., Anna Howard Shaw, Samuel D. Proctor, Walter Welder, and many others. God of justice, God of mercy, who we encounter in the frightening beauty, fiery holiness, and in friend and stranger. We pray for community, for our community, and for the communities that make up our city, our state, our nation, and the institutions in and around us that underpin our societies. We pray for communities big and small, for the tapestries and tents that our communities of identity and culture exist in, and for the tapestries and tents that house and tent these tapestries of community. We pray that we continue to build communities and have intentionality in fostering hospitality, diversity, inclusion, and the love of one another. For it is in each other that we often find you, and it is only in our diversity that we might truly grasp at you and at truth itself. It is only through each other that we may face the challenges and tensions of modernity, our climate, and the violence here and around the world. We pray this through the one who reminded us that our actions towards one another are actions towards your holy divinity, Christ. Great healer, the light in which we see, who underpins all we do and sparks the miracle that is life, we pray for the miracle intentions of life, the good, the bad, the joys, the sufferings, the hopes, and the despairs. We pray that day by day, we may continue courageously to face the tensions, celebrate the joys, and grow in the adversities. We pray for those in our community who need your presence, that we may be your presence for each other. We pray for those in our community who are celebrating and those who are mourning. We pray that we may accept what we must accept, that we may have the valor to seek change in what we can change, and that we may have the percipience to know the difference between what can be changed and what must be accepted. For in every moment, we have a choice to act, to grow, and to live, and our lives are miracles. We pray this through the one who reminds us that our lives encompass all, Jesus Christ. And it is in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen. And as our Savior Christ has taught us, we boldly pray. 
our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
creator of the universe, who grounds our being and fills existence with meaning. Use our charitable gifts for your purposes for our community so that we can continue to live in the legacy of those before us, exemplifying the ethos, passion, and heart and love for human flourishing and freedom, and the respect for moral law with a global perspective. Through Christ, the one whose life exemplified heart and service. Amen. And now, dearly beloved, let us go from this place in peace to have faith in the community that is powered by the unity of love and to promote the work of God's love and justice in the world. In the name of God, who makes us, who loves us, who keeps us in everything. Amen.